Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Live Longer, the podcast, the first series, The Art of Healthy Longevity. And today we have a fascinating and very interesting guest in the studio. She's a London-based designer who's focusing mainly on jewellery. She grew up in the Caribbean, full of colour and vibrancy and surrounded by nature. Her mother was a boutique artist and this has really inspired her work. There's a sense of life and movement and beauty in her work. She did an MA in goldsmithing at the Royal College of Art in London and then set up her own jewellery shop. And there's a story to tell. I'm looking forward to her telling us about that. She then took time back to focus on her family, refocus what her priorities in terms of her art is. And she's emerging from that now in the post-pandemic era. And I think that journey is going to be very inspirational to listen to. Please join me in welcoming Sarah May Marshall-Knight. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Millie. Lovely to be here. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you here today and I'm really looking forward to um, chatting with you. I was so lucky that I got a, a beautiful gift of a silver bracelet a number of years ago from my loved one that he had crafted by your, your lovely hands. And yes, yeah, I know. And, and we've become friends. And, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to start off to hear what inspires you with your pieces of work. I mean, I know you've grown up in the Caribbean and as I said in my introduction, nature and colour and vibrancy are all a part of that. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what inspires your pieces? Yeah, well, I think there's a two-way approach to that now because growing up, you could be sort of creative. You never thought about, you know, the value, when the end user. And I think when you're at the Royal College of Art, you've got so much time to really play and be vibrant and creative and sort of push those boundaries of design and really kind of like question what is contemporary and modern art. But then obviously when leaving the Royal College and I wanted to set up a jewellery, lovely little jewellery boutique, you know, I was then challenged that actually these objects actually need to be objects that are going to be worn and how do you do that and create it sort of like in a way that the end user gets the value that is a handmade bespoke beautiful object and wearable piece of art but the longevity of it as well so um, there's always a two sides to everything you've got the creativity side but at the end of the day it needs to be a beautiful piece that can be worn and, and so therefore you try to do something that's very different and shows the beautiful objects that are handmade you know there's different ways as if when jewelry is sort of either manufactured or crafted by hand there's a different process and you really notice it in the objects sort of like the nice weight of it and the little design touches and I think that's really important to me so that sort of is a little story in the actual end product. Oh, that's really good. So you really have the end user and, and you work with your clients. I mean, I, I can attest to that because the, the bracelet, the intertwining pieces of silver, I literally wear it every single day. It's a part of me, the little jingle my kids know when I'm coming down the stairs. So <laughs> that's really nice to hear. And what about, you know, growing up in the Caribbean and the sense of colour? Do you try and bring colour into your work? Yeah, I think that the colour sort of comes, you know, there's the, obviously there's beautiful sort of yellow goals and rose goals and all these different beautiful um, ways that you can either have something high polished, which has reflections or really lovely satinized. So there's ways that you can actually bring colour in with gems and things like that. But the behind, the actual starting out point is very much about the movement, seeds and pods, which I used to love to collect on the beach, shells, and naturally, you know, my vibrant sort of like the beautiful Caribbean pui trees and 
there's this beautiful flamboyant trees, which are gorgeous oranges. So even though they start off in my head, maybe my first sort of initial design, the end product will still be something that's very recognizable, you know, bright, beautiful gemstone and set in a lovely piece of gold. But I think the difference will be the detail of how it's set, you know, something that's very different to your ordinary piece of jewel that you might see on a high street. Mm, and, and some of the pods, they, they they don't jingle, but they move. Is that what you mean by creating movement? And and do you think that people, when they come and ask you to create a bespoke piece, you know, maybe are, are there people who have movement problems? Or are there people who are stuck in their life? And do you think it brings some movement to their life? Have you ever talk to your customers afterwards to, to think if it's helped them move better? Mm, well, I would say that um, I did a beautiful collection, which was kinetic jewellery, um, and it had like hidden ball bearings and you had these beautiful moving parts. And I think that the movement there was exactly as movement describes, you know, the actual object moved as the wearer moved. And that sort of brought a really joyful, playful experience to the actual wearer. But I would say that the movement in jewellery is really about challenging, you know, you want a piece of art that's and a piece of jewelry that is so unique and so different and bespoke for you. And I think those are the sort of women and couples that I am attracting. Somebody that wants something different that is, you know, a bit of more care and thought into the process of creation. And I think that's where the movement that I'm talking about is. It's this sort of like a redirection of way of thinking of what you buy and what you wear. And then I suppose yes, it's it's really the joy that you get out of looking at your engagement ring or your object or something that you've bought for memory and that's where the joy is. Mm. And I noticed that on some of your kinetic pieces that you have lovely names and where does the inspiration for those names, one is love and I don't recall the others right now but maybe you could tell us about oh, yes. where the so names. Those are my um, beautiful island pod ranges. Yes, yeah, so that was really a bought in kind of rebirthing from when I left the shop which you know we talked about um which is a real big transition in my life. You know, I went from the Royal College of Art to setting up this beautiful boutique, which I moved twice, actually, with the back streets of Richmond. And then I moved to a lovely high-end design shop, in fact, made by another, helped design by another best friend of mine from Trinidad and Tobago, Zoe Defer. And um, together we created this beautiful workshop space as well as showcase front gallery that actually was an, a retail award-winning gallery environment and um, it showcased some of the most beautiful objects I mean it was more of a gallery than a shop it was a special boutique but I suppose what happened with I I mean I absolutely got imbalanced you know retail is a very difficult thing to be involved in and moving from the back streets to the high streets the lack of support for these small businesses I was still a small business challenging against high street brands and high street names and having to sort of pay the horrendous rent and rates that everybody would on the high street you know I did well I, I, I competed well with everybody but the difference was that I had a lovely family at home and when you have a small young family and you feel out of balance and being in retail seven days a week it was became a challenge so as much as it was disappointing and hard to leave I really really needed to sort of focus on myself and then as I left the shop and reinvented these beautiful pod rings which again are based on sort of like seeds and pods of the Caribbean and actually my own engagement ring I developed this names of, of these jewels that really about happy dream believe abundance love which were all these things that I was rediscovering in myself and I really put that energy into creating this beautiful little dreamy diamond pods that are so precious 
And, you know, the wearer will might will look at it and go, that's just a beautiful piece. But for me, it was really the story and the journey and then coming back to a jeweler where I had the control of creating what the wearer would wear rather than somebody coming to me and saying, actually, I like this ring. Can you copy it and make it a bit different? So it really was about me becoming the creator again. And, and I love that journey. And so that time was so important to me. Well, that's fascinating because what you're describing is what many people right now are experiencing and that, you know, although you were enjoying your art and you used your art to make a living, then that became a source of stress and you almost had to regrow yourself because it was it was quite bad for your health is what I'm hearing, as opposed to something that you were enjoying. And now you've repositioned and as many people in this country are going to need to do in coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, again, the pandemic has added another level onto it, you know, where I would have a certain level of clientele. I actually, luckily, the shop really brought out a lovely, what I call them, friends of ceremony jewellery. You know, I've got a great following, a great number of clients, but there's only a certain longevity in that. And what I've realised through the pandemic that actually, you know, I need to think bigger and I need to think on a global scale. And I would love my jewellery to be online and available where they can reach the consumer all the way in Australia, but still with a a bespoke and a personal touch. And I think that things like Zoom meetings and being challenged to do face-to-face interactions that were normally done, you know, via the electronic devices, it actually made the globe a lot smaller. And it kind of got over that fear that actually somebody needs to hold the jewel and see me face-to-face. I've actually, my efficiency has increased. My freedom has increased because I can sort of be with my family and, and actually have some time for myself, as well as I've sort of opened up to this opportunity that actually I can create a very sustainable global business if done correctly. So I'm actually at that early stages of creating um, a fabulous e-commerce business, which actually comes with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of legalities that I'm working on through the back end. But um, I'm nearly there and that will be an exciting venture later on in the year. Well, I think that's very inspiring, you know, for not just you, well done, but for other people listening. And, And as you're aware, this podcast is being recorded and hosted in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers, which is a program that's offered as a co-curricular program for Cambridge University students and really to train the future leaders on how to make our world better. And, you know, it's okay to be successful. Well, what do you do with that success? And, And could I ask you, you know, if you are and when you are successful in your global business, how are you going to give back and how are you going to use that to change the world through art for the better? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that, you know, we've all got the opportunity to give back and contribute in our own way. And I would say that, you know, once your cup is full and you've done the things that you know that you're creating a business that is sustainable and and working well, then it absolutely, everybody has the right and, and I think deserves to give some sort of like contribution back and whether it be about the sustainability in your packaging or teaching a young group of leaders how you know to become inspiring in their own right and find you know what what is passionate and they're purposeful to them because I believe that everybody has their own unique gift and it's just about when you can align with that and do that really cleverly in such a way that it then becomes a business it becomes something that's passionate and and easy to do and I think that if everybody at this point in time in the world that we are thinking about you know how can we help others and you're thinking about those lines of sustainability 
contribution and creativity and passion, then you've become, it's quite an easy aligned business. And these these youths that are coming up now, I mean, we see it with our kids, you know, they're able to, to work the social medias and the influencers and things like that. So I think that a business can become quite an easy, scalable thing if done correctly and with the right intention. You know, I think if you had the, the great intention at the beginning that this is going to help or do something to contribute in me being successful, then I think that you're sort of naturally going to get there because it becomes a story in itself. I think that's right. And what you've outlined and touched on is the importance of having purpose in one's life. And and of course, the purpose of this podcast, Live Longer, is to enable people. Of course, we embrace science and the best medicine. And, but what else can people do to feel better? And what you've articulated is when you leverage your talents to actually make a living out of it. And, and I think the Japanese call it Ikigai, the Japanese secret to a long and, and happy life. There's a beautiful book, actually, by um, mm. Garcia and Morales um, that I often refer people to when they search for purpose. So you, you've articulated that you, you've reached your point in life where you have identified your Ikigai. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. yeah. And that's yeah, going to help okay. your health and well-being. Absolutely. But what about, you know, other people and, and their health and well-being? How about using, you know, many of my patients come in and they will tell me they're they have crystals or they have wearing a copper bracelet. And, you know, as I reflected in preparation for this interview, I remembered that when I started off practicing as a rheumatologist, we, we did give gold to patients and, and for rheumatoid arthritis and it worked effectively and, and it's still very, very occasionally given. Um, so, you know, jewels and metals have been a part of, of medicine and healing for maybe many, many centuries. What do you think and do you have a view on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a natural resource. This is a beautiful thing about, you know, handmade jewellery and using jewels that that the gold and silver and gems of the world are all natural objects and they take time to be produced by their lovely planet. And um, they all do have certain definitely healing energies and properties. So for instance, in my Juicy Jewels, I've got the amethyst and peridot and citrines and lovely green amethyst that uh, naturally you're drawn to but each one actually does have certain what they say is sort of like healing powers so like the peridot is really about growth and renewal and they call the citrine the success stone the green amethyst is all about mindset and balance and the lemon sort of lovely quartz is about abundance and energy so um it's hard to find the words, isn't it? Do you people come to you asking you to, for bespoke um, jewels because, for example, they want abundance or because they feel they want to get the healing properties that um, you're outlining that may potentially be associated? Do you find that or do you meet the people and then figure out what might suit their personality? I I'm intrigued about what happens in that choice of jewels. I think that in the... Um especially in my juicy jewels, we've got these beautiful birthstone rings. And, you know, naturally somebody might say, oh, I love the purple one. And then when they realize that it's all about the certain healing powers, they realize that they're naturally drawn to it. So sometimes that happens just by coincidence. I haven't actually had somebody sort of say, this is my medical issue and can you help me? I definitely think it's something that can be looked at. I know that, you know, things like the copper bracelets, I don't actually deal with copper. But um, if somebody said, you know, I'm really interested and having a magnetic ring and a copper ring or something like this, I would certainly be able to bespokely make something for them. You know, my sort of movement in jewellery and as I'm developing and evolving, maybe it's something I certainly will look at because we are 
here we realize that health is the most important wealth. And I think that if I can create something that is all about monitoring that and um, keeping you in check, then it's absolutely something to look at. Yeah, I, mean, I think that there is probably a need for more scientific data. I sometimes feel at a loss because patients will say, well, Dr. Stone, do I wear this copper bracelet? Will it make me better? And I don't have a straightforward answer. So I think it would be intriguing to actually study that proactively. And you touched just at the end there, you know, about patients monitoring their health. And there is a, a rise now, and I see it in the clinic, people wearing aura rings. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're intriguing, aren't they? They capture blood pressure and sleep. But, but dare I say it, they don't look especially pretty. How could you make them into a more attractive option to reach more people who may benefit from them, but maybe don't want to wear them because they, they look a little less attractive than other options available? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that'll be really exciting to collab with a scientist. I suppose that once you kind of can find the little device that tracks the sensors and the body temperature and pulse and sleeping, all the patterns that, that you need, if you can get it small enough that I can almost gem set that or hide it, then I, in, in essence, once I've got that little chip or whatever that records the information, I could probably transfer it to any of my designs but there certainly is a market maybe for design and repeat of something that's very very simple and very wearable and maybe indiscreet or something that's very much like oh yes this is my um my health ring and you know you could bespoke make it again depending on birthstones and personalize it and create something quite fun well i can see your global business emerging before me <laughs> <laughs> good it. luck to you i would be fantastic and um you know, on that note as well, you know, one of the things that you're most famous for, of course, is your your beautiful diamond bespoke. And, and I wanted to ask you, you know, for people listening today, and we're going to have lots of people who are students and, you know, everybody from all walks of life, not everybody can afford a very expensive diamond. What do you think about newer ways of man-made lab-grown diamonds as an alternative option to have something of beauty, but, you know, within your budget? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, there's two things, really. We still have the beautiful natural diamonds as well as the lab grown. Both actually have the same property makeups as a diamond. So sometimes that word lab grown gets mistaken as a synthetic diamond. It's not synthetic at all. It's actually a diamond. It's just been made with the carbon process in a lab. I think once that the diamonds, you know, what we call green diamonds and really looking at equal ways of using the energy source to create the diamonds, then absolutely it's something to look at. They'll be much cheaper. And of course, you know, you're looking at the, the process of not being mined. There are very good mines that, you know, do look at how the earth and planet is is looked at. And then there are very unhealthy minds. So I think that, you know, it's it's almost like a consumer conscious fact to make sure that their diamond is traceable and understanding how it's grown. And also there is the option of buying secondhand diamonds. You know, there's there's lots of secondhand jewellery out there, which in fact, I'm, I've been doing a lot of sort of handing down heirlooms where I'm renewing and recycling and giving them a new life. So creating from old to new, whether it be granny's handed down heirloom or even buying a secondhand diamond. So there's that option as well. Versus I think we're going to see a lot more of this sort of lab grown diamonds coming into um, our experience. So people are working on it. And I think that there will probably come a point where the customers are going to say, well, actually, you know, do you have a natural diamond? I think that we are going to be looking more and more. They're going to be flooding into the market as people become a bit more aware. Yeah. 
you know, there's a trade-off between the pros and cons of mining and the ethical considerations and the environmental considerations. And then is there any adverse effect on the environment for byproducts of the laboratory grown diamonds? I'm not familiar with the process, but I'm just wondering, are there products that you're used in that process that could actually be bad for the environment itself? I think it's really about the energy source. You know, if you're looking at renewable energy, so um, solar panels and windmills and things like that, as opposed to the electricity, that's going to be the big impact more than anything I would have thought. Again, I don't, I haven't actually, I, I love, I've seen the lab growns and they're absolutely beautiful. You would absolutely never know. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't tell. And in fact, you can get a cleaner stone and it all comes to the certificates. But I, I haven't actually seen one in the process of being grown. And that's my next venture. I'd love to actually get more involved in that and create a range of jewellery that offers, you know, you can have the natural versus the lab grown. And you certainly will get a bigger diamond for your money with that process. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I looked this up last night on YouTube and there's some quite interesting videos. And I encourage anybody listening, if they were interested, just to to open our minds because it doesn't always have to be a lot of money to get something that means something. And you touched on that about Granny's Gold. And, you know, the pandemic has brought so much tragedy and loss um, to our communities. And the last artist that I interviewed was explaining that she'd done a painting and somebody bought it because it reminded her of where she had spread her father's ashes. And once she had that painting, I know it was amazing, painting on the wall, Mm. it sort of laid to rest and gave her happy memories. I mean, Mm, do you think maybe that you could do something similar to help so many people who have lost their grannies and and to help them and their mental health and well-being get through a really difficult time? Yeah, I have done a few things like this where um, so sort of like the granny has left all this gold to split up amongst the daughters and the granddaughters and even some sons. And it's sort of like what to do with them. And I made these beautiful um, collection of infinity rings where we melted them and we put a lovely personalized engraving thing with love granny and it all had an each diamond. So everybody got a slightly different ring, but it was all from the same gold and same process. And I think together they felt they were a little team wearing a piece of history and a lovely memory to wear. So it's definitely coming, you know, gold is such a high value and you can scrap it, but don't get as much. But if you can re-melt it and recycle it and then re-love it, which is what I'm sort of saying, and revitalize this beautiful piece, you've got a memory and the story with you forever. And you're keeping this investment and passing the heirlooms down. And I think it's a beautiful part of history to keep that gold going within the family. Absolutely. And it's so in keeping with live longer, live longer with granny's memory. And please don't let, let's not forget granddads because they were rings too. Yes. We shouldn't be focusing solely yeah. on granny. No, absolutely. You can make sort of things like little nuggets and signet rings for the little boys and, and that equally they can have their share and then create something into their wife. You know, that's the great thing about gold and all these beautiful gems. They can be reused over and over again and, and repurposed. Oh, that's such a lovely thought. Well, look, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and hearing what inspires you, your story about how you're emerging post-pandemic, which will, you know, help other people in the same boat and your ambitions for, you know, your your business and how you're going to help other people on the way. And then finally, just to think and reflect how jewels can maybe help us all feel a bit better and you can prolong the memories of our loved ones. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. I'm really honoured that you've asked me to be involved in this. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah.
speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed listening to Sarah May as much as I enjoyed having a conversation with her this morning. Join me next week for a discussion with Stephanie Wager, a life coach, an artist, focusing her current creative energies on wonderful candles to uplift and help us all feel a bit better as we emerge post-pandemic. And of course, if you'd like to be in touch or send us any feedback, please feel free to email us on hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.